We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning. It is February 1st. Happy February. House Republicans have taken another step towards impeaching Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas for presiding over the nation's ongoing immigration crisis. This coming from National Review. In the early hours of Wednesday morning, the House Homeland Security Committee voted 18 to 15 along party lines to send two articles of impeachment against Mayorkas to the House for a vote. The full House vote could take place as soon as next week, and if the House approves the impeachment resolution, the charges would ultimately go to the Senate for a trial. We learned how that went with the two impeachments of Donald Trump. So because of that, uh, this, according to CBS, House Democrats are characterizing the impeachment effort as a quote unquote sham and said the articles lack evidence of high crimes or misdemeanors, the constitutional basis for impeachment. The first impeachment article accuses Mayorkas of repeatedly violating the law by allowing the release of migrants who are who are awaiting court proceedings. The second article alleges Mayorkas lied to lawmakers about whether the southern border was secure and obstructed congressional oversight of the department. So joining me now to discuss all this and more is our very good friend, Congressman Jim Jordan. Good morning, sir. And um, I think that the second article kind of speaks for itself about the southern border not being secure. But uh, what can we expect from the full House vote and when will this take place? Uh, I think as early as next week. And I think you'll see uh, Republicans support this and 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 the articles of impeachment to the Senate uh, for Secretary Mayorkas. Look, it, it, it's, it's breach of public trust and failure to comply with the law. It's pretty basic. Uh, and you can just look at the situation and say, well, he's not enforcing the law. Um, and then the breach of public trust is the number of times that you, you, you step back and think about the number of times Secretary Mayorkas has come in front of Congress and misled the Congress and therefore misled the American people on things he has said relative to the situation on our southern border. So uh, Chairman Green and his committee have done good work. Uh, we'll we'll have it on the floor and 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 uh, pass it. But I think this is one of like three key things that has to happen if we're ever going to get our border back under control. And you, you got to pass this. I think that sends a a huge message and says this guy's done. You know, it, it, these these two articles represent what what's happened here. Second, attack the spending bill and say you can't use taxpayer money to continue to allow people in the country. And I think it's a simple sentence. No money can be used to process or release in the country any new migrants. It's time for a timeout. Just like, no, stop. We're on pace to get to 12 million. And then finally, third, uh, maybe most important is we've got a big election coming in 10 months. And let's, uh, let's make sure President Trump is back in the White House, someone who actually did secure the border just three years. And, you know, think of the difference between now and three years and 12 days ago when, when President Trump was still in office. Yeah, and, and uh, President Joe Biden has said uh, 
this past week that he's done all that he can do on the border. And, and I think that's ridiculous. Um, your response to, to that uh, falsehood. Well, yeah, he's done all he can do to create the crisis because it's been intentionally, deliberately, willfully done. Go to, go to the day one when they said no, you know, three policy decisions they made, um, no more remain in Mexico, no more building the wall. And when you get here, you will be released. Well, when you do those things and announce those things and everyone knows that's what's happening, the incentive to come is just overwhelming. And it's why we've had the eight over 8 million come to the country. We're on pace to get to 12 million. I tell people, think of the magnitude of that, that, that number. That's equivalent to the entire population of Ohio. And we're the seventh largest state. So that's how big the problem is. And, and, and people come from 180 some different countries. So they created this thing. So for him to say that, like it just, it's it's laughable if it wasn't so serious. Yeah, and, and I think it's so disrespectful to um, the American people and, and to say th- that uh, he's done all he can do. Meanwhile, the ongoing uh, border war with uh, with Texas and uh, trying to to say that they can come onto public property and, and private property and cut down the razor wire and and their the Biden administration yeah. seems like they're doing all they can do to facilitate migrants coming over the border instead of protecting our border. Yeah, that, that'd be another that'd be another uh, uh, policy writer language that I would want on the uh, understand the, the the funding for the government those those are coming due in the first week of March those the, the two bills that are going to fund the government. So I would say on those bills, you need to attach the language I just talked about. No money can be used to process or release in the country any new migrants. And I would also say no taxpayer dollars can be used to dismantle any, any border security uh, measures that the states have taken. So you, you can't be saying we're going to pay people, the federal taxpayers are going to pay to tear down the fence that the Texas taxpayers put up. That's just stupid. So th- those kind of things, I think, are what we should be trying to get on the uh, legislation uh, the spending legislation that's due in March. And so where uh, Congressman Jim Jordan is the Republican conference in this, because we know it's a very uh, slim majority. And, and I think that Speaker Johnson is doing a great job in terms of trying to, to coalesce uh, that whole conference. I mean, are Republicans across the board on board with with this type of resolution? I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful we can be. I mean, we, we want to. We want HR two, the Immigration Enforcement Border Security legislation that we passed last year. All the House it sits in the Senate. We want that to become law. But I think we're at a moment where the country is so focused on this issue, understands how serious it is across the country. All 50 states now appreciate the problem that we have on the border and this unsecure border. I think you got to be just be so. So basic, so straightforward with what you do. Call a timeout. No more migrants should come in the country who are seeking asylum. Regular visa holders, that's, that's a different animal, but, but, but they, they, that's a different issue. But, but the, the people seeking asylum, we should say uh, we're going to call timeout on that. And um, the way to do that is the language I just described. So I think it's, it's a simple way to do things. Well, and some uh, critics of the impeachment against Secretary Mayorkas have suggested that even if this goes through, uh, and it would obviously take a couple of months to uh, once the full articles of impeachment then go to the Senate for a trial, and even if that is successful and he's removed, then Biden would just replace him with somebody just as derelict. And so why not go after Joe Biden rather than just one of his deputies? 
Well, fair enough. And, uh, you know, we are in the process. Uh, we've been in this uh, impeachment inquiry mode uh, for for uh, since since we took the official vote, since the Speaker of the House announced it last fall. And we continue to do that investigation. We had a deposition earlier this week with Eric Schwerin, one of the business partners of, of Hunter Biden. We have Jim Biden scheduled for his deposition. We got another key person from the FBI who will be deposing next week. Uh, we have Hunter Biden scheduled for the end of this month. So we're going to continue that. We've approached this in a way that is 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 consistent with the Constitution and in, in, in a fair way where we're getting the facts, and we're going to keep doing that. And then we'll decide as a, as a, as a, the House of Representatives if, in fact, we are going to move forward with articles of impeachment against the president. And and I say impeach them all because they've all been derelict, and I think there is a constitutional basis for impeachment of basically everyone in in the Biden administration, including Joe Biden himself. But um, also the House Judiciary uh, GOP Twitter posted this yesterday that 155 House Democrats voted uh, today, this would have been yesterday, against deporting criminal migrants who commit Social Security fraud. Uh, They'd rather protect (laughs) illegal aliens than our seniors. Retweet if you think that's insane. I retweeted it. Yeah. Yeah, good. Thank you. The, uh, yeah, it's that, like, that's just crazy. The position the left has taken, the Democrat Party has taken, the Biden administration has taken, just makes no sense. And I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of that uh, line that, that Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders had in her response to last year's uh, uh, presidential State of the Union address, where she said the divide in America today is normal versus crazy. And this is a great example. It is crazy to say, well, if you commit Social Security fraud and you're an illegal migrant, you get to stay, no problem. Like, that's just a crazy position to have. But that's, unfortunately, where today's left and Democrat Party is. And and it seems like, uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, that the House uh, Democrats and, uh, I mean, Democrats as a whole and Biden uh, Biden's policy on all of the border stuff is is really attempting to shift the makeup of America. And there are a lot of people that are very concerned about election integrity and the possibility about non-citizens voting this fall. Yeah. Um, is there any anything from Congress that is going to be addressing that or um, assisting the states in addressing that? Well, um, no, I, I think people are always concerned about the, the integrity of our election process. Uh, you know, where where states can, they have, I think, improved their election law. Like Georgia is an example where there's been changes made. Um, you know, I have to have the photo ID. Uh, you know, so so uh, in Wisconsin, we got the good court decision on 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 the how drop boxes are used there in that state. So there's been, I think, some decisions that are going to be helpful. Um, but as you know, the Constitution says that that states and particularly the legislature in in, in respective states determines the time, place, and manner of, of elections. And that's how we want to keep it. We don't want the federal government running elections. But um, so, and I think the other thing is we're all watching more closely now than ever on how this election process is going to work in, in 24. Um, so I feel I feel more comfortable than we did in the run-up to 2020 when there was this huge influx of mail-in voting and all the things that states did that I thought were done in an unconstitutional fashion when they changed uh, some of their election laws. Yeah, and, and I think this is something that uh, that we really do need to focus on as states. But you're right, there has been um, a lot of measures that have been taken in the past four years. And in just uh, the last few minutes that I have with you, Congressman uh, Jim Jordan, um, you are the chair of the uh, Judiciary Committee. And um, you mentioned moments ago um, continuing that inquiry against um, Hunter Biden and some of these other things. Where do we sit with um, some of the things out of your committee? Yeah, um, we, as I said, on the impeachment inquiry, we, we have the some of the key depositions scheduled for uh, this month, 
and uh, we'll proceed with those and gather the facts, and then we'll make a decision on, you know, do we file articles of impeachment? Potential articles I think could be um, could be obstruction, could be bribery, could be misuse of funds, could be, uh, cons- and there's a whole number of things that that are potentially there. But I think we got to get all the evidence. I think the case is already compelling, but we we need to we need to to, to go through that, and then we'll continue to work on this whole censorship effort. And and some of the more recent things we've discovered just on the front end of this investigation, what banks were doing, surveilling their customers' purchase information at the request of the government, looking for, for people who shopped at Cabela's or looking for people who did online transactions where in the message of that online transaction they talked about Trump or, or Patriot or MAGA. It's it's particularly frightening what, what we've just – again, we're on the, just the, the, the early stage of this investigation, but we'll continue that as well into how uh, these financial institutions – the information they're giving to the government at the government's request, and it looks like without any legal process, without any any type of warrant. Yeah, and it's incredible to see just the absolute ignoring of the Fourth Amendment and you know some of these other protections that um, that citizens have from the Constitution. And you know these are in some of the early stages, and so it's important that we keep a majority in Congress so that these investigations can continue. Um, do you think that you might run out of time before November? Well, uh, our job is to do oversight, to do it in a way that's consistent with the Constitution, to get the facts we've been pushing as, as hard as we can to get that done in a timely fashion. So we're not driven by the time. We're not driven by some you know, predetermined objective. What we're, what we're doing is getting the facts there for the American people, and then we'll make a decision. Okay, great. And um, last question for you as we're heading into the break. Um, there have been a lot of uh, speculation about maybe vacating the chair yet again. Um, I think that's probably not a great idea. But um, overall, what have you thought of uh, uh, Speaker Mike Johnson? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I don't think that's that, that's what we need to do. And, and as, as you know, uh, Mike is a good man, uh, yes. solid, solid man of faith, and and um, uh, just doing the doing the the Lord's work as the. Uh, as the Speaker of the House, so uh, God bless him. He's a good friend, and I think uh, we should not uh, be, be moving to to have another Speaker. I mean, for goodness' sake. Uh, so uh, let's let's support Mike, and and let's uh, let's let's support and do what we told the American people we were going to do. Um, that's I, I always say we make this job too difficult. What'd you tell the folks you're going to do when you ran for it? Let's go do that, and, and that's what we got to focus on. I think there's a really good book with a similar title. Um, that's <laughs> about that. Yeah. So and uh, so Congressman Jim Jordan. And of course, I'm speaking about your book. Um, but thank you so much for doing what you said yeah. that you would do and uh, for joining thank us. You. And we, we will be looking forward to the House vote um, as early as next week on the articles of impeachment. Continue to keep you in our prayers and um, everyone who is um, advancing the conservative cause and protecting our liberties on Capitol Hill. So thank you so much for joining me. We'll be right back with more here on Jen. Ellis in the morning. If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advanced 
advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And as we continue to follow the crisis on the border, the invasion on the border and all of the migrants that are coming through, the impending impeachment against Secretary Mayorkas and uh, everything that is going on, a lot of people are very concerned about the threat of non-citizens voting this fall. And as uh, Congressman Jordan alluded to in the last segment, um, there needs to be something that, that is done about that. And there is um, a lot that is going on still in the realm of election integrity. And so to talk about this more, uh, joining me now is Cleta Mitchell, who is an attorney and a senior legal legal fellow at the Conservative Partnership Institute and the founder of the Election Integrity Network. She also hosts a weekly podcast called Who's Counting that explores all topics related to election integrity. So good morning, Cleta, and thanks so much for joining me. I've been looking forward to this for a while, so I uh, really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Jenna. It's great to be with you. So this this whole issue and the threat of uh, non-citizens voting, let's start there. Um, how big of a threat is this? Well, it's a huge threat because of court decisions, and including the U.S. Supreme Court, and actions that Congress has taken over the, the last 30 years, basically. Um, Congress passed a law 30 years ago last year, um, remember, it was Bill Clinton's number one priority when he got when he became president. It was the first bill. You notice that whenever the Democrats take over Congress or state legislature, the first thing they do, the first bill is always something to do with uh, political process, elections. Um, they want they want to change the rules for elections to try to manipulate the process so that they can have a better chance to win. Um, and that happens. We see that pattern repeating over creating itself over and over again. But remember the motor voter bill um, that was passed in Bill Clinton's, like I say, it was H.R. 1 when he was first elected president. And it requires states to register people to vote when they come in to get a driver's license or uh, register a car, any interactions with the DMV, the federal law requires States to offer the opportunity to register to vote. And that's true also for social service agencies. So when people go to the welfare office to sign up for food stamps or public assistance, they're, they're required, states are required under this federal law to uh, get uh, the opportunity to register to vote. What ha- that has morphed into, quite frankly, in far too many states is that at the DMVs, they're just registering people. And even though there's a requirement that um, in many states it's required that you have to be a United States citizen in order to be able to register to vote, we have seen in state after state after state over the last number of years 
uh, people who check a box saying, I'm not a U.S. citizen, but they get registered to vote anyway, and their registrations are sent over from the DMV to the election offices, and they get registered. And once registered, it is virtually impossible. It is impossible to keep those individuals from voting. And we've seen in many states now, uh, Georgia, for instance, even though the Georgia law requires that you have to be a U.S. citizen to register to vote, there's no action being taken at the DMVs. And in fact, they have in Georgia what's called an opt-out process. So someone who goes to the DMV to get a driver's license or uh, register a car, they are automatically registered to vote, even if, uh, unless they say, oh, no, no, don't register me. So they're automatically registered. And that's something the left has been pushing, pushing, pushing for a long time. So now they're on the rolls and they have a driver's license. Does the driver's license indicate that they're not a, a citizen? Uh, many states don't have any such notation that makes it clear. Even in the states that have a requirement for a government-issued photo ID to vote, you have a lot of states that are issuing driver's licenses to illegals, and they can present those, and it doesn't show any uh, indication that they're not a citizen and so they can vote. And many states like North Carolina, uh, for instance, and Michigan and others, allow student IDs to be used as the photo ID for voting. Well, you can, you can be a foreign student and not a U.S. citizen, and you get a student ID. So there's so many ways that non-citizens are getting registered, particularly by these left-wing uh, NGOs or advocacy groups, um, that it's a very real it's a very real threat, and it's because Congress has not had uh, they have they have not they have not made sure that the the laws are very porous, and Congress needs to take some action to tighten up uh, some of these federal laws that make it very difficult for states to uh, be able to uh, ask people to present proof of citizenship in order to register to vote and a number of things like that. It's, it's a pretty big problem, but we did, I suppose the Supreme Court didn't realize that we were going to be invaded our southern, in our southern border um, within 10 years after saying that states could not, the Supreme Court ruled that states could not ask uh, pe- uh, people to present documented proof of citizenship in order to use the federal form to register to vote. So they're just a lot of ways into the system, Jenna. It's a big problem. It is. And this has been a big problem for a while. I mean, I think that there's been a, a heightened emphasis in the last few years on election integrity. But people uh, like you, like our, our friends from Heritage, um, Hans von Sparovsky, for example, you know, and others that are part of your election integrity network have been working on this for a while. And it does seem like it's this push um, is is from all of the left wing and, and the Democrats. Election integrity should not be a partisan issue. This shouldn't be a Republican versus Democrat. And this isn't about suppressing um, the vote. This is about ensuring that laws are followed. And so there's so much rhetoric, uh, Cleta, from the left that that challenges election integrity on the right and, and tries to accuse people like you of saying, well, you just want to make it harder for people to vote. How, what, how do you respond to that? I don't want to make it harder for people to vote if they're eligible and qualified if they're a U.S. citizen, if they're a non-felon, if they meet state law requirements with regard to the address they use for their registration. I, 
It's just that the legislature, let's start with the fact that the legislatures have the constitutional responsibility to determine the time, place, and manner of election. And it's up to the legislature to decide what the qualifications are. And what has happened, what the left has done, is they have, they have taken the view, they take the position that unless you basically bring the ballot box to somebody's front door, and actually they, they want to make it possible for people to vote uh, at home. Uh, one, of the first, uh, one of the very first people appointed by Biden was the woman who's the national president of the National Vote at Home Institute. They want to take all voting outside uh, accountability and oversight and transparency. But I just always say when they say, well, you're a vote suppressor, I say, I want to make certain that it is easy to vote, but hard, you know, we, we might make it harder for people to cheat. And I happen to believe that there are a lot of leftists in this country who really, they don't want any requirements. They want automatic registration so that if you're on a government list for anything, you're automatically registered, even though that will create mass chaos in the, in the registration rolls. They basically believe that voter registration – I testified before Congress in 2001, so this is 23 years ago. I testified before Congress on the Help America Vote Act about ensuring – this was after the Florida uh, election in 2000 with uh, President Bush and uh, Al Gore. And so Congress passes the Help America Vote Act to change all the voting systems. And I testified before Congress about the importance of making sure that whatever changes in the law Congress undertook to be sure to protect the integrity of the election. And I didn't realize until that testimony uh, at that hearing, House Judiciary Committee, Maxine Waters and Barney Frank both yelled at me and told me from the dais that voter registration is racist, requiring people to register to vote before they are allowed to vote and even having voter rolls. That that makes that if you support that, then you're a racist. And so that was 23 years ago. And so I I basically pay no attention to anybody accusing me of anything. I had a conversation with a with one journalist. I use that term very loosely, and I really shouldn't even talk to them anymore. I really don't talk to them anymore because they've become political actors. They're not objective journalists. But you remember in Harris County, Texas, in 2020. The Harris County heavily Democratic uh, board uh, supervisor of elections, uh, who was subsequently removed for the chaos, uh, and that's Houston, uh, decided to allow 24-hour drive-by voting, so that people could bring their ballots at you know two and three in the morning uh, and drop them. And of course, the legislature of Texas said, "Well, we didn't authorize that," and so they put a stop to it. But I had this journalist argue with me about that, say, well, you know, but that's vote suppression, isn't it, to say people can't drop off a ballot at 2 in the morning? I said, where did that come from, this idea that you ought to be able to vote at 2 in the morning? I said, what, what good comes, what good things are happening at 2 in the morning with the ballots? Tell me that. Tell me that. But it's, it, a it's, a, it's amazing it, that thought it, about it for years. Yeah, and it's amazing. And I'm speaking with Cleta Mitchell, who is a senior legal fellow at the Conservative Partnership Institute and founder of the Election Integrity Network and does great work on election integrity. And I've been a part of um, your group for for years, Cleta, and I I so appreciate um, all the work that you do. But it seems like the left just doesn't want any rules at all. And if they want 
um, any rules, they want to manipulate the rules so that the outcome is that they win. And, and that's completely against fundamental fairness. It's against process. And, and so has there been any um, movement forward and, and any good news, I suppose, in, in the effort for election integrity to, to kind of rein in all of that nonsense over uh, the last few years? Well, there really has been. I mean, one of the things that really is so inspirational to me are the number of citizens who've become involved and actively engaged in the work to protect our elections since 2020. I think that was a big wake-up call for people to realize, oh, my gosh, the voting system, the election system, has been fundamentally transformed right under our noses. And we really didn't pay attention to that. So there are so many people who have become engaged in doing things like working to get their voter rolls in their local counties cleaned up and getting uh, bad registrations, duplicates, people who are dead, people who have moved away, people who are uh, convicted felons or have otherwise become ineligible, declared mentally incompetent, had guardianships appointed, to go to their election offices and have those people those registrant, those registrations that are no longer valid or maybe weren't valid in the first place have those removed from the voting rolls. And, of course, that's just one area of work. There are people working on how to protect vulnerable voters. I, I, would, I would contend, Jenna, that many, many, many of these illegals who have been, ta- who have been brought across the border by these United Nations and these uh, organizations, Catholic Charities, I hate to say it, has been one of the worst offenders in terms of sort of taking these illegals and dispersing them, leading them and planting them around the country, uh, and who think nothing of getting these people registered to vote, getting them on the voter rolls. Well, I would contend these are low uh, English proficiency people. They may not even realize that that when they're being asked to register to vote, so here's sign here, that they are committing a, a federal crime. It is against the federal law for a non-citizen to register to vote or to vote. And so I think that these are vulnerable voters, whether you're in a nursing home or you have these illegals that are being led around by uh, leftist organizations, uh, people in group homes, homeless people. You think about those vulnerable populations, man, the left sees those as, as pockets of votes. If they can just take over and get them registered and get in, you know, deliver their votes, get them registered at the at the offices, for instance, of, of a, an advocacy organization and lots of things like that. But we have people working on that. We have people who are working on their state legislatures and the state laws and working to try to enforce and strengthen their state laws. And, of course, the left goes crazy and says these are voter suppression laws, but they're not. They're, they're, they're find, people, citizen volunteers are finding the problems in their uh, election laws and going to their state legislatures and asking legislators to make changes. But it's a lot of work because the left is very well funded in this arena. Uh, Capital Resource Center estimates the left has raised and spent between 11 and $14 billion since 2012 and upending and changing our election laws. We're never going to have their money. We're not going to have all those uh, groups that they have that sue every every legislature in every state that uh, changes the law. And so then we have to fight about it in the courts. But what we do have is we have thousands and thousands of patriots who want to do something to protect our election system because they know that if you, if you change, if you let 
when we let them change the election system, it changes the outcome of the elections and it changes the policies of our country. And it fundamentally transforms the country, as we're seeing. And I'm speaking with Cleta Mitchell, who's the senior legal fellow at the Conservative Partnership Institute and founder of the Election Integrity Network. And um, Cleta, there are so many people listening um, that are very concerned about election integrity, and um, they have been concerned about this for a while. And so what is the best way that you would encourage them to engage in the process in their state? Because as you mentioned, we may not have the money, but we do have a grassroots volunteers and people who are very concerned citizens that are willing to participate? Well, I would urge everybody to go to the website that we created. It's www.whoscounting.us. That's W-H-O-S-C-O-U-N-T-I-N-G, whoscounting.us, as one of our my colleagues says. It's who's counting us. Um, but on, on that website, you can sign up to... Uh, become part of a uh, an election the election integrity coalition in your area in your state but there's the citizens guide we i wrote uh two years ago we updated it last year the citizens guide to building an election integrity infrastructure and that's really what we need we need people to understand how they can get involved at the local level remember all voting takes place at the local level unless you live overseas but that's a whole different problem but (laughs) We've created a, a master class of 20 videos. All of them are short, between five and seven minutes. To How do you start a local election integrity class, a task force in your county or your city? We have a, a national working group. People can sign up to become part of that na- a national working group we have on a lot of different topics. But we, tr- we try to train people to give people the tools that they can use wherever they live to get four or five people together to just be a presence at the local election office or the, with the local election administrator. Trust me, if you're not there, guess who is there? There are all these leftist groups, and you would be surprised to learn that they're in every election office in America. And if we're not there, it's just like parents going to school board meetings, looking to see what's in your school libraries. If you're not there at the school board meetings and then watching what's going on in the schools, then that's how people have learned about the leftist dominance and influence and infiltration in the schools. It's the same story at election offices everywhere. And if you're not involved in your local election office, then you're leaving that, you're ceding that to the to the left. And I just think that it's really important for citizens and Christians to be engaged in that work if we're going to save our country. But we all the tools you need are on the who'scounting.us website. So we really urge people to take advantage of those tools, get involved, get the Citizen's Guide, get five or seven of your friends, and, and start going to your election office and learning what's going on. And how do they screen for? Ask them, how, how do you screen to keep non-citizens from being registered? Um, I think you'd be sh- shocked and amazed and, uh, and concerned to find out that they they've not even thought about that because all the pressure is coming from the other side. Wow. Well, Cleta Mitchell, really appreciate it. And the website is who'scounting.us. Get engaged and involved before the election instead of after when we have to fight all of these court battles and other things. Uh, we need to affect the process and make sure the rules are fair up front. So we really appreciate your time, Cleta. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning.
Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious babies. Dominique really struggled with her faith when she found out she was pregnant. She didn't know how she could carry her baby to term, but she called on God for help and asked for a sign. That's when she ran into who she calls her guardian angel on the steps of the abortion clinic. This man told her there is a better way, and he walked her across the street to a preborn network clinic. When she saw her beautiful baby on ultrasound and realized that he was an actual person living inside of her, the answer became loud and clear. She chose life for her precious son. Each of these babies are truly miraculous, and every day, Preborn celebrates 200 miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles the baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby, or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And so with all of the uh, concerns that we have as Americans and particularly as conservative Christians, when we look at what's going on in our country with the border crisis, with this invasion, with um, with the, the current president that is absolutely derelicting his duties, not only domestically, but also in foreign policy. And we look at the wars uh, going on in the Middle East, in uh, Ukraine, and then we contrast that with what we see in the Bible about uh, wars and rumors of war and um, the end times, we can't help but wonder, are we in the end times and very close to the end of all things? And we've talked about that some on this show, and um, and I kind of want to bring it back to, uh, to Revelation and to the understanding of where we are at in history. And joining me now to discuss is our good friend, Alan Mashburn, who is a pastor, a homeschool father, and also is running for lieutenant governor out of the great state of North Carolina. And um, Alan, you know, I want you to put your pastor's hat on first and just say, you know, how can Christians confront going into what I believe is going to be a very tumultuous year of 2024. We've already seen that in the last month and still have hope and peace and joy and yet um, be aware of, of what is potentially to come. Well, I always take people back. and It's always an honor to be on, uh, Jenna, and to follow my good friend, Cleta Mitchell. I just texted her and I said, hey, I'm going on after you. Um, but <laughs> She's great. I always take I always take my people back to uh, Ephesians, where the Scripture says, "He is our peace." So I think as believers, we have to be based solely in the Scriptures, solely in Christ, and realize that that He is sovereign and that He has a plan, and that He is totally in control. And if we know that, if we read the Scriptures, we know that because His plan is unfolded massively. Um, Paul felt like he was in the latter days in 2 Timothy uh, 3. And, uh, well, we can go on, on back to 2 Timothy 1, seven, where he said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of sound mind. I think, I think we're going to need those three components more than ever uh, mm-hmm. this year, specifically. Um, but as we look forward to this, we have to do it in the peace of God because he is sovereign. He is in total control. 
and I am looking forward to this year because that's the only hope we can have. Yeah, it really is. And I think um, that when the Bible speaks of having a peace that passes all understanding, there have been so many times when um, when people who are concerned about not being in control of their own lives, because we know as human beings, we're just not. There's a measure of control that we have, but um, ultimately there are so many things that are out of our control. And so they look at Christians and say, how can you possibly have peace and, and joy through all of these circumstances that you're going through? Um, I don't understand that. And this is where I'm so grateful, Alan Mashburn, that as a Christian, I don't control everything. I mean, if it were all up to me, I would be really, really concerned and, and, and very, very, very stressed out because I know that I couldn't handle everything um, even that I've gone through in my life, in, in my own wisdom and um, in, in my own discernment. And so it's a good thing that we have to continually rely more and more and more on the Lord. And so in the practical application, I think we understand that as Christians from a, from a theological basis, and it's easy maybe when things are going well to say, yeah, I put my my trust and my hope in the Lord. But when we're very concerned about what's going on in our society and we look at what's going on around us, um, how can we practically apply that in our day-to-day lives? Well, I think the the key element is walking in truth, walking in Him daily. Um, In the good times, we, uh, we are very prone to wonder in our own wisdom because everything's going good. We have no need for nothing or we have no need for wisdom because we feel like we have a good handle on things. And then the, the moment things happen that uh, doesn't go our way, we run to uh, our safe haven, which is normally the Lord for especially believers. So we have to walk continuously in him, practice that, that, that faith and, and continually be in the word. I, I think that that element is so important um, because without it, you have no strength, you have no, uh, you have no wisdom. God is the only one who has the wisdom, so we have to get it from Him, and we have to stay in Him, stay close to Him. And while that may sound very elementary, it is very elemental. It is very uh, important. We cannot overstate that. That is so true. And, and it's the foundational elements that become the building blocks to a stronger faith and, um, and and building up from there. And I always say, if I could tell my younger self one thing, it would be to trust God more sooner. And I really believe that because, um, you know, my, my natural bent in my personality type um, is, is to be a fighter and to just, you know, want to kind of approach every battle and just go all, you know, hardcore and, 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 and just fight everything. And I've had to learn that, you know, to, to fight fights that are worth fighting, but also recognize God's hand in things and be willing uh, to trust him for the outcome. And even if it's an outcome, I, I wouldn't prefer to trust his sovereignty as well. And and I think that um, that it's so important, Alan Mashburn, that as Christians, when when we look at our decision making, and especially when we look at what's going on in our civil society, in our culture, and careening off the cliff of, of things, we need to be daily in the word, as you mentioned, because we can't have discernment without a knowledge of God. So many people, I think, just go based on feeling and they say, well, I prayed about it. And then I kind of did, you know, what I felt was right. Well, 
you know, our feelings um, and our, our heart bends naturally towards sin. We need to make sure that we are filled with the Spirit and the Holy Spirit and ensure that we have the knowledge of God that then we can have wisdom and discern truth from error. Absolutely. If we rely on feelings, we would be suicidal. Uh, our feelings are, are, are just fallible. They're up and down. They're not consistent. We rely on fact. We rely on faith. We rely on uh, uh, truth and absolutes, and that's our anchor. And that's the only anchor that keeps us from wandering and, 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 and sinking, because without it, we would be astray. We would certainly be in, in a hole that we couldn't get out of. And uh, from your tweets, I, I couldn't tell that you're a fighter at all. Uh, people <laughs> ask me, what do you think about Jenna Ellis? Well, I think, you know, we're sisters in Christ, but I think she's actually my sister. But um, <laughs> we are a lot alike in that. But as, as the key element here, and we can't get past this, is that Christ is our hope. Christ is our power. Christ is our wisdom. He is our all. And as believers— he saved us, He owns us, He created us, and we're destined to live with Him forever, forever, and serve Him and be and, and live in His glory. So, whatever we go through here is temporary at best. And uh, my, I, I look to Titus two thirteen, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Hope there is a confidence. It's an earnest expectation. Mm, amen. And that is, it's not just a hope. It's not just in the sense of wishful thinking or, you know, wishing on a star, you know, kind of like the fairy tales. It's a patient expectation that God will fulfill his promises. And, and in that we can have peace and we can trust because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is faithful. And, and so as we're looking toward uh, the, the, the rapid escalation of um, a lot of these conflicts that we're seeing uh, going on from an eschatological perspective, do you think we are headed um, toward the end times? And, and what's your perspective on that? Well, I think, obviously, yes. Um, and, it, and it doesn't just center around the Middle East. Now, God's prophetic clock is, is, is Israel and what happens to Israel and all around Israel, which happens to be the Middle East. But I think what you're seeing here in America as well, I've, I've been a student of Bible prophecy over 30 years, and that doesn't make me a scholar, but it makes me a student. And I've always wondered why the United States is not exactly found in the Scriptures per se. Uh, I've always known that either the United States had to be neutralized or had to be turned against Israel, God forbid, for everything in God's timetable to happen to Israel and in that area, in that region. Um, long story short, the point is, we are there. Uh, our economy is 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 there is uh, on the brink. We have banks failing here. We have inflation out of sight. We have a vegetable in the Oval Office. We 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 just we have no leadership. And it really makes us, it should make all of us cringe that we are a nation on the verge of war with what we're having and seeing in, in Washington, D.C., as far as the absence of leadership. We do not want to see this administration get us into another war. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly, Alan Mashburn, why 
uh, we as Christians need to engage in our political process, engage in civil society, because if we're so um, focused, you know, as, as the saying goes, if you're so heavenly minded, then you're no earthly good. And, um, and we as Christians have to make sure that we are rightly dividing truth from error, but we are also engaging in our process so that we can uh, protect the rights that come from God, our creator. And so um, just in the last few minutes, I, mean, I think that's a great transition here to say, you know, people like you who are um, who are pastors, you're engaged in, in your family, um, you're a homeschool father, and you're now a candidate um, for lieutenant governor um, out of North Carolina because you want to engage even more than just as a citizen voting. And that's so important. And so um, talk about why you made that decision to run. Well, I just started looking around and, and well, I started praying about it as well, obviously first. But after that, the Lord started showing me things um, that we're in spiritual battle. We're in spiritual war. And we have to have leadership that will stand up who know God and, and respect God and love God and love this country. Um, there are a myriad of candidates in, in, in my race. It's ridiculous. Uh, and every one of them has got a, got a story. But it's all about politics as usual. Folks, that has got to die. We are in a day in which our children, our faith, family, and our God, everything is on the line. And so it is imperative that we stand up for truth. We stand up for our constitutional rights. We stand up for our veterans. And and we just have to stand and stand against that tide because the left, whatever you want to call it, demonically infused forces— they're coming for our children. They're coming for our rights, and they're coming for our country. And we have got to take a stand, and we need people who have wisdom, who have discernment to take a stand and to say, absolutely not. We're not allowing that to happen. Absolutely. And we have to make sure that we are standing firm on biblical truth. And we have such an amazing opportunity um, here in America that our highest law of the land actually reflects that truth. And our declaration reflects the purpose, the legitimate purpose of government, which is to protect and preserve the rights that our founders acknowledged rightly come from God, our creator, not our government. And so it is in a sense easier in America to advocate for the truth than it, it than it would be in some other type of regime that doesn't acknowledge truth and isn't founded on a Judeo-Christian worldview. And we need to harness that opportunity and move that forward even in the midst of the darkness that we are heading into in 2024. And I'm grateful for people like you, Alan Mashburn, that see uh, that the importance of engagement and knowledge as Christians um, in church, but also in civil government. So really appreciate your time today. That's all the time that we have. You can always reach me and my team at Jenna at AFR.net and make it a great month and a day and weekend for the Lord. I will see you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? 
Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.